we have an announcement before we start the episode. We do? We do. It's not a secret, so I don't know why I'm whispering. <laughs> why are you whispering? I don't know. Maybe I should, should I stop? You should. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Marriage on a Tightrope. The episode forthcoming is forthcoming. However, we do have a quick announcement that we would like to make. Uh, it's kind of an exciting one, and Katie, I'll let you have the honors. Um, something big is happening on September 11th. Well, <laughs> it's the 21st anniversary of September 11th. Oh, yeah, that too. Okay, so... Bigger than that? Bigger than that. Okay, let's not make light. We have decided that we are going to have another workshop on a tightrope starting September 11th with... Natasha Helfer. That's right. For those who have no idea what we're talking about, uh, here is what this course is. It is a six, actually seven, week course online with Katie and myself and Natasha Helfer, who is a absolute phenomenal mixed faith therapist uh, and sex therapist. That seventh bonus week that I whispered into your ears is all about sex and what? Intimacy. intimacy. That's right. That's right. Sorry, we. I don't have either of those things, so I, I forgot what it was talking about. Ouch. I, I don't know. I'm just, there's an open mic, and I can't be held responsible for the things that I say. In this course, we learn about communication. We learn about what to do with the kids, proper ways of talking to friends and family. Uh, we, we talk about what is and isn't a faith crisis. Is this uniquely Mormon? Spoiler. And- it's not. It's not. And we also talk about what do we do with leaders or family members? Yeah. How do we talk to them? The biggest two weeks are our parenting because, man, it's difficult to think about what to do with the kids. And if you don't have kids or your kids are out of the house, you know, a, a really big week that, that we really hear a lot about is week number three, which is negotiating the tenders. So these tenders are these difficult negotiations within a mixed faith marriage. Not all of them. The misconception is that these are new behaviors from the the partner that has left and that those are the tenders that all have to be negotiated. And that's actually not the case. There's a lot of uh, tenders that need to be be negotiated on the believing side as well. Temple attendance and tithing tithing and uh, what are we going to do about church and this this course, Katie and I have kind of been spoiled to go through the course six times ourselves, which is helpful. But then also, like, you you hear something and you go, oh, shoot. Yeah, Natasha says we should do this, and I'm not really doing that. Oh, man. I'm... It's a good refresher. <laughs> it's a good refresher. Absolutely. So, Katie, how do they sign up? They go to marriageonatightrope.thinkific.com, and you can select September 2022 workshop on a tightrope. We are going to leave it open, and for the first month, we are going to make it $50 off. $50 off. And then after that, <clears throat> we raise the price. And also, if you sign up within the first month, you get Sex and Intimacy Week 7 free. So just kind of for your knowledge, we do this every Sunday for seven weeks, two hours, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. The rest of the classwork is done on your own time during the week. That's right. So every single week, we, we this is how it is broken down, the two hours that we spend together. First, we come together and we answer questions as a large group about the presentation that was watched. All of the presentations are made available 
upon registration, you can watch all six presentations of Natasha going through the content itself. So we advise not going ahead of schedule, but you're more than welcome to. Uh, so the first about half an hour to 45 minutes, we answer questions as a group, about 25 spots. So 25 couples, Natasha and me and Katie, Katie and I, sorry. And she's an English major. I have to make sure to keep my English proper. So uh, we go through that and then we split into three different groups, uh, one going with Natasha, one going with Katie and one going with me. And we dig into the actual homework. So there's assignments after each week. Uh, for you to complete as a couple. And we just like to celebrate the wins, talk about anything that was difficult, and we end the session coming back together and talking about how that went and any last questions for, let's be honest, mostly for Natasha. And I think the best part of the course for most people is to realize, one, you are not in this alone because you have 20 to 25 other couples going through the exact same thing as you and you are able to talk about those things, connect with those other couples, and then give each other ideas. There has been um, just such great friendships that come out of this course between the couples that it's been super helpful for a lot of people who want others that know how they're dealing with things and feeling. In fact, this last group that we had, our group six, still get together for date nights. They do group they activities. They just went axe throwing. It's like three of the couples went axe throwing a few yes. nights ago. And yes. And contact each other and do weekend trips together. And so it's kind of like this unique space where you get to just like really get to know the people in your group. Some of our best friends we met through the course too. I would say all of our best friends we met through the course. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, this course always fills up. We've done it six times and it's filled up each time. So sign up early and often. No, not often. You don't. You can't sign up more than once. You're more than welcome to, but you don't have to. Uh, that's, that's all that we wanted to announce. Uh, you'll hear that on subsequent episodes leading up to September 11th. 7 p.m. is going to be week one. And it'll meet every Sunday at 7 p.m. thereafter. October 23rd. That's right. We're going to end in time for Halloween. So week eight is how to deal with death. But you're going to have to do that on your own on Halloween night. <laughs> That's morbid. A little bit. A little morbid Mormons. That's what we are, right? <laughs> okay. Enjoy this episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. Hello and welcome to another episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Alan. I'm Katie. And we're still married. We have an interview today. This is a marriage on a tightrope first. That's How is right. It a first? This is the first one-on-one -on -one interview that we were involved with without being involved with. <laughs> That's really confusing. Does that make sense? No. Okay, so let me explain. So we asked our Facebook group, hey, if you have a story that you want to share with us, just record it on your own time, send it over. And this is the first one that has come through. So that's a first. We also have never interviewed one-on-one -on -one or two-on-two -two with a couple out of the United States. We did have a New Zealand couple come on uh, as part of our Word of Wisdom episodes. But this is the first couple from out of the States that tell their own story from beginning to end. Oh, and if I remember right this couple also is the first couple to tell their story that is not 
of the LDS faith. That's the big, most interesting one, I think. Right. They are Jehovah Witnesses, or they formerly, one was formerly a Jehovah Witness. Is that how you say it, plural? They are, they are, they are copies of the book of Jehovah. <laughs> Sorry. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of, it's a little confusing. It's What's not grammatically, books of Mormon. Are they it's Jehovah's? Copies of the book of Mormon. Right. Are they Jehovah's witness? They're, they are Jehovah's witnesses. They are the witnesses of Jehovah. Uh, those that are listening to this, most of our listeners are some way have a history with the LDS faith, the Mormon church, if you will. And I will. So this, this interview will potentially be a little bit different because they come from a completely different background, both culturally from not being American to not ever having anything to do with LDS. But as you'll hear here, as you will hear here, (laughs) (laughs) we are butchering this. I don't care. As we... And you will hear, they have a lot of similarities and a lot of the same challenges that come in a mixed faith marriage within the Mormon church are going to come along in the Jehovah's Witness faith as well. And we've talked about that before. With any sort of high demand religion, you are going to get these same veins of uh, both problematic things as well as... um, great things, you know, in these kind of small communities, um, where these religions kind of bring people together. So there's a lot of similarity in the things that we experience versus what anyone in a high demand really religion experiences as well. That's right. Uh, we've had a few anonymous episodes before, we had one with Jim and Pam, if you remember our mixed orientation couple that we had. And I think of other a few other couples have not used their, their real names. This is another one where the real names will not be used. So we are pulling from our most favorite sitcom romances and nicknaming this couple Leslie and Ben from Ooh, Parks and Rec. Leslie No. <laughs> ben Wyatt. That's right. And Perkins. Uh, there is no end person to this story. Chris Trigger. So that's what uh, this episode is going to be. Now, the format of it is a little bit different than what you're used to. So we we posed this in our Facebook group, five different questions, and said, hey, record yourselves answering these five questions. Uh, we're not in it. So this is just them for about 35 minutes, answering those questions back and forth. And if if the intellectual, wonderful way that they have with words isn't enough... Just bask in the glorious accent that is oh about gosh. to be bestowed upon no you. No kidding. Americans have the worst accent. I was talking, and maybe this will get me in hot water, but I was talking with a coworker a couple of days ago uh, at a trade show and because we had talked to somebody that had an Australian accent. Mm-hmm. And we thought, okay, so when I hear someone British talk, I think, wow, they sound smart. When I hear someone Australian talk, I think, wow, they sound attractive. <laughs> Wait, attractive? Australian accents are like super attractive. Okay. Maybe the, it's just because it reminds me of Chris Hemsworth. Oh, no, no, no. The only person I think of with an Australian accent is Crocodile Dundee. Or or Croc Hunter. Croc Hunter? Who's that? The Crocodile Hunter. I don't oh, know. wow. Crikey. This belly full of babies. Wow. Wait, that's the one who died, right? Yeah, but you're thinking... That's what I'm cro- talking about. You said Crocodile Dundee. That's not a knife. Oh, it is a knife. Oh, you're right. You're right. And see, again, I, I kind of like... Those just... are both attractive middle-aged men. No, one... Okay. <laughs> we have a very different definition of attractive here, clearly. Uh, you don't think British people are attractive? Whoa. Okay. No. 
This is the greatest thing ever. When I hear a British accent, it sounds very polished, and I'm not going to even try to do it. But it, it's stuffy. It has like a I know what I'm talking about yeah, because it's I have true. a British accent. It's actually really. I think that British accents are attractive too. Yeah, yeah, attractive, but like they're intellectually stimulating. They sound intelligent. Australians have this like I'm down on the beach. I, I so it's like a oh wait so this you're talking about this is like the California surfer dude is like the Australian accent. It feels more casual. It feels more okay. casual and like hey we can be buddies, <laughs> right? Because we can't with British people. No, I don't want to be friends with British. People. <laughs> Good thing we're going there. We are going okay. there in a, in, a, in about a month. We're going for a month. Crazy, hmm. crazy. Well, if that wasn't the best slash worst lead in of marriage on a tightrope history. We hope you enjoy this delightful interview and, and get to know our Jehovah's Witness cousins, Leslie and Ben. Question one. What was your upbringing in the church like? Well, perhaps it's a bit different to a lot of people who listen to the Moat podcast because I've never belonged to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I did grow up in a evangelical American Christian religion Um, a lot of people would call it a high demand religion if that had been put to me as sort of some sort of challenge when I was a bit younger or even maybe a few years ago I would have said that yes I agree that it's a high demand religion but I do feel that your beliefs should inform every aspect of your life so um, yeah that's would have been my response to that. My grandparents are the ones that converted to this religion. So my parents grew up in this religion from childhood and um, married in our religion. I'm the youngest of four children and I do think that every child has a different experience, even in the same household. So I have a brother and then two older sisters My oldest sister had a severe disability and my middle sister found our religion restrictive and she was labelled sort of a difficult child and then a very rebellious teenager. But our religion really suited my temperament. It gave me a big family and I certainly grew up feeling confident and loved and happy. So I definitely think I had a happy childhood. It was hard having a sister with a disability it was really hard on my parents and I saw how hard they worked to ensure that all her needs were met as well as all the rest of us kids but it did leave me conscious that I didn't want to add to um, my parents burden so I tried hard to please them and make them happy I could see that my middle sister rebelling against our religion just about broke my parents' heart. So there were two things that really, I think, helped shape me and who I am today. So what was your upbringing in the church like? Well, my parents were converted about the age when I was about eight, so I was practically brought up in the religion as well. I had a pretty happy childhood. I remember I was a very serious young person and I was always curious. I tended to develop friendships with some of the older ones in their religion rather than those of my own age because of my sort of spiritual maturity. I was always wanting to study the deeper things and so I had some mature mentors. I found things a bit 
intellectually stifling. Uh, a lot of the material was very repetitious and I found it quite boring. So that was always a challenge for me. But I did enjoy the community and I enjoyed the feeling that I was special and sort of part of a chosen group that had special knowledge about the world and the future. And having this special mission in the world gave me a sense of uh, purpose and a feeling that I had an important job to do. I guess looking back, I, I do regret the fact that I sacrificed higher education to pursue that mission. I was always um, a curious person who loved learning. I loved school, um, but I gave up that to, to pursue the, the church's mission. And I guess in hindsight, feeling like I had all the answers as a young person wasn't necessarily that healthy. It restricted my openness to alternative ideas and ways of thinking. And although I would never have considered myself arrogant at the time, it, it kind of was pretty arrogant. So I'd say on the whole, though I had a happy childhood, it, it did have some negative um, repercussions on me as well. So question two, tell us about your relationship leading up to one of the spouses experiencing their shift in beliefs. I can remember buying you an anniversary card that says um, my favourite love story is ours so I think that we had a really genuinely very happy marriage you're definitely a romantic um, so yeah really happy marriage but our religion was at the centre of our life and our marriage we rarely had disagreements and I do think that that was um, influenced by our religious agreement. We had a few ups and downs, but probably there's only one thing that really tested our marriage, and we definitely dealt with that by not talking about it. On the rare occasions that we did talk about it, it was very difficult, and we never really came to a, a conclusion about it. Um, also, in our religion, women have to be submissive. So if we did have a difference of opinion, unless I was going to compromise my loyalty to God as a supportive Christian wife, I had to give way. I think that that sounds awful to a lot of people who um, don't understand Christian submission as a theological subject. But um, I think that you really try to be a very good husband and to apply Christ-like qualities in our married life. So I think having said all that, I was very lucky that I, have, I wasn't married to an abusive man because I did recognise that in that situation where I as a Christian wife had to be submissive, I did see that if you were married to someone who was abusive that could lead to a terrible terrible relationship so you tell me what was it like in our relationship leaving up leading up to your shift in belief well yes obviously we we met in church we we met when you traveled down to my city you moved here and we met in the congregation and we were married very young i was 19 you were 20 and uh, we were both in the full-time missionary work at the time and that's I guess how we fell in love just spending time together all the time 
Um, and as you say, we, we try to abide, apply Bible principles in our life, and I would say we had pretty much a perfect marriage. I definitely felt it was an exemplary marriage. I always loved giving uh, talks on that subject. Um, I served as the sort of uh, Mormon equivalent of a bishop, and so we were both at the centre of church activities, both in ministry and in socially as well, and I had the opportunity to give many talks and lectures all the time, and I always enjoyed giving talks on family life, and I felt I had a lot of freeness of speech because we really did have like the perfect marriage. We very rarely had any disagreements, and, and we were just blissfully happy for 25 years until I had my faith crisis. So, question three, briefly describe the transition of belief from your perspective. Well, I knew something was wrong. You were, you have suffered with depression and other um, mental health issues from time to time during our marriage. And I knew that something was troubling you and I knew that you weren't telling me what it was. And it took almost a year I feel like before you confided in me I feel like early in 2015 you were having problems and doubts perhaps but it wasn't until December that year that you actually finally told me what was wrong I remember we went for a walk and it was just so scary because you were telling me things like that you weren't sure that the Bible was from God it didn't seem like a clear message to you anymore you just had all these doubts and I just I remember being devastated and it was just so hard but I really felt like you were reading you were studying so you were reading the Bible you were praying, you were at our meetings regularly, you were out in service, you were doing all the right things. So even though you were having these initial issues, I felt confident that you know it would all get sorted out because you were doing everything that you were asked to do and it would all be okay. But over the coming months as we talked, I was so upset about things that you were bringing up to me and questions that you were asking it just it was devastating you were trying to salvage something from our religion but you were coming to the conclusion that you couldn't believe the doctrines you were still as you say the equivalent of a bishop in our church at this time so we'd have these conversations where you'd tell me that the Bible's not inspired of God and then during the week or on Sunday I'd hear you teaching from the platform in the congregation and I'd think to myself, he sorted it all out and we'd go home and the questioning would start again. So I felt very alone because there wasn't anybody I could talk to about this. So you were confiding in me, but I had nobody to confide in because if I told anybody what you were going through, I knew that it would have really serious consequences. 
So inside, I felt like there'd been a death. I was mourning and so upset. But on the outside, I was pretending that there was nothing wrong and you were doing the same thing. It was just so terrifying. And I hoped that you would find answers and this would just be a bump in the road. But I also felt like the whole structure of my life was slipping away. So I got to the stage where I felt like I couldn't help you, but I knew that if you talked to the other older men in the congregation, that they would help you and fix you. That's what I wanted. I wanted somebody to fix you. And the sad thing is that when you did share what you were going through, they spent a little bit of time with you, but not much. As a group, they very quickly decided that you couldn't be saved and they gave you up as an apostate. And almost immediately, that beautiful, close community that I had, the brotherhood, the friendships, all of that dropped away. So it was really hard. So your turn. Question three, briefly describe the transition of belief. So for me, the the church was changing doctrines and, and making dogmatic statements that were making less and less sense to me over time. I was also learning about critical thinking and cognitive biases at the time and starting to, to see them in my own beliefs and thinking patterns. So I guess I was starting to question fundamental doctrines of church. I was questioning history, prophetic chronology, as well as their understanding of science and archaeology. And though I tried to seek answers within the church, I was soon told to shelve my questions and the church's inability to address my questions just made them intolerant of me and they soon viewed me as an apostate, as you said. Um, But I kept pulling on the threads and once I allowed myself to research um, with resources outside the church, everything fell apart pretty quickly. So describing how, how it felt or what it was like... I remember quite vividly the day I realised I didn't believe in the church anymore and I sort of lost my hope and my faith. I just sort of evaporated in an instant and I just went through a range of emotions. I felt cheated, I felt misled, I felt conned, I felt angry, I felt depressed, confused and, and even suicidal at times. My whole world had been turned upside down. Everything I thought I knew and that I was so sure of was just flipped upside down. I went from a person who was extremely confident, sure I had all the answers and like I knew everything, and to a person who knew nothing and it felt like I just had to start from scratch and rebuild my whole identity, my life, my my worldview from scratch. Um, It wasn't too long before I realised I was actually an atheist, even though I didn't like that term, I was uncomfortable with it, I just realised that was what described me. I was terrified of telling you, (laughs) I thought for sure you would leave me, knowing the church would view me as an apostate, I could see losing my whole social network, so it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying, and though I'd always had depression, I'd never had suicidal ideation before this point but now I did all the time Uh, it was it was just frightening and horrible time to go through of course you didn't leave me (laughs) 
but once I started talking to you, it I was overwhelming you and it was crushing you and I just couldn't hold back. I got obsessive and continued to untangle my beliefs and I could see the damage it was doing to you, the stress it was causing you, but there were, I just couldn't control that. I had no way to process that without talking to you as my life partner. So my need to express my feelings and my new viewpoints with my wife with you um, obviously led to you feeling very attacked Um, you felt like I was trying to change you trying to change who you were trying to impose my beliefs on you and um, that started to cause a huge rift in our marriage and we'd never had to deal with conflict up to this point we'd we'd had smooth sailing up to this point we weren't equipped to deal with this level of conflict So we both went through, I think, a long period of mourning for the life that we had both lost and we really didn't know how to support each other. So question four, what have been the most difficult challenges in your mixed faith marriage, including what you might still be working through? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with us not being able to cope with conflict, that we'd never learnt how to resolve um, differences of opinion because it really was the first serious problem that we'd had in our marriage. We went straight to a real tough one with mixed faith marriage. Um, So, yeah, dealing with conflict, we just did not know how to deal with it in a healthy way. For two people who never, well, you never, ever raised your voice, and I rarely raised mine, but, you know, we were yelling at each other. It was awful. We were both so angry Um, that was really hard to cope with but probably the thing that has been the most difficult to deal with has been um, your excommunication from our church it's that has been really hard and for me that continues to be something that I have to grapple with all the time because I'm still part of our church So how to deal with the grief and the pain and the anger and have empathy for each other. For a long time it felt like a competition about who was in the most pain and who had lost the most. And just to be able to move past that point and to acknowledge that we both lost a lot and that we were both in pain, that that was a milestone for us. And the other thing is the way that your faith transition caused us to lose our community and our friendship. It's been really hard to learn how to make new friends, especially in our late 40s and early 50s. That's been really challenging um, because up until that stage in our life, we'd had friends that we'd had for decades. So... um, having to make new friends has been really really hard but when I reflect back on how I really felt that our religion and being in our religion together um, had given us these really good tools for a healthy marriage I was shocked to see um, how we were unable to have difficult conversations so that was an interesting thing for me you know if I step back 
So asking you question four, what's been the most difficult challenges in our mixed faith marriage? For me, trying to understand our different perspectives on faith and reason and logic was one of the early ones that we really had to hash out in counselling, if you remember. You approach things from, like what was important to you is very different from what was important to me. The church meant different things to each of us, but we'd never really discussed that in all our years of marriage. We just assumed the church meant the same to both of us. But for me, the church was about truth and the doctrines were about logic and and we got there through, you know, um, calculations and scriptural proofs and science and all this kind of stuff. And that, for me, was what it was all about, that we had the truth. Whereas for you, trying to understand that for you the church meant tradition and community and family values and all those things that were wrapped up in the church for you, and and we placed different priorities on those values. I think we both shared each other's values. You, you also valued logic, and I also valued the community, but our priorities were a little bit different. So trying to balance that out again was a challenge. And then learning new communication skills, how to be more patient, how to be respectful and understanding. Uh, we had developed those skills, I think, in terms of our ministry to other people. We were always very patient and understanding of the people we were preaching to, but we never had to exercise those qualities in our marriage that much because it was just easy and natural. So how to accommodate our differences in communication styles was another challenge and, and my faith Christ really exposed some of our different communication styles learning to have hard conversations and express strong feelings um, often very raw feelings without overwhelming you uh, exhausting you which I did many times and felt pained about that was the hardest thing to me how, how to communicate what I was feeling to you and keep that open communication going but but doing so in a measured way that wouldn't overwhelm you and exhaust you that was the hardest thing for me being an obsessive sort of personality and giving space for each other to process things uh, especially you know giving you the space to process things in your time because I had researched and studied many things on my own ahead of you and then just dumped so much stuff on you and I didn't at first allow you the time to catch up with me and process all that stuff. So that's that was a hard challenge for me to give you that time and space. And I guess finally the challenge that's still an ongoing one is, is learning to live with this new reality that we're not on the same page about everything before as we were before because previously we just pretty much agreed on everything. And now we don't, and that's perfectly fine and okay, but it's an adjustment to now deal with that new reality. So question five, what have been the greatest wins in your mixed-faith marriage, including how long it took you to feel that you are in a better place? I have to say it took years to feel in a better place, const like for long periods of time. Therapy was key for me. I had therapy on my own and that was important because I had no one in whom I could confide 
in the first couple of years we were planning a three-month trip to Europe so that gave us something to look forward to and the trip was great but it was a bit like running away from our problems. It did help us in that it showed us when there were just the two of us without other external pressures and complexities we really were okay together. So even after two years we were still having problems having difficult conversations. When we tried to talk it usually ended in an explosive argument or a cold truce. So at the end of 2019 I felt like our marriage would never recover and we took the plunge and went to marriage counselling and that was really hard work. There were times after our counselling sessions when we talked and it had made things more difficult and it was making it felt like it was making things worse but it was through therapy that we learnt to have the difficult conversations and we went to marriage counselling together for 18 months so it took a long time to end up being in a better place it felt like two steps forward and one step back a lot of the time but um, yeah so going on to question five Uh, What's the greatest wins? Oh. Okay, I'll talk about that. So the greatest win for me is that we're still together and that we did find a happy place again. Are you happy again? Yes, I'm happy again. Yeah, and I'm happy again. And this is quite remarkable because while mixed-faith marriage seems to be quite common in the LDS church in our church it is extremely extremely rare Um, the church's policies um, are designed to not allow that to happen Um, there's a lot of pressure on the believing spouse to leave the unbelieving spouse so the fact that we survived all this and it did take a good five years and a lot of counselling but I feel like it is an amazing win and a tribute to our our love and the solidity of our marriage even before all this happened that we overcame all these issues we overcame a lot of pressure from the church and I'm so proud of that I'm so proud of us and so happy that we could get through just the darkest times and come out the other end. And I think hopefully that gives hope to other people that as dark as it is, as painful as it is, as suicidal as you feel, whatever you're going through, if you really love each other, you can find that connection again and you can work out that love again to a point where you can find happiness again. Maybe it takes five years, maybe it takes longer for others or quicker, who knows. But for us it took about five years, but we got to a place where our marriage is happy again. So what advice would you give to other people? Well, I would say, Dirk, go to counselling. I found counselling for myself really important. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody. I couldn't 
talk to anybody in my family, I couldn't talk to anybody in my religion, I couldn't talk to you. So going to counselling was a really safe space for me to work through a lot of my feelings and talk to someone who understands what faith transition means. Uh, So that's one of the things that has really helped me, finding the Marriage on a Tightrope podcast and listening to Katie and Alan's journey and all the interviews that they've done and joining the Facebook page. It's been really healing for me to find other people out there who who understand the pain. Um, Yeah, that's been a really wonderful thing for me, finding a new community. So a question that I would ask for other people facing the same situation is do you love the person that you're married to? If you love each other, it can be really hard work, but you can make it work. So um, go to marriage counselling as well as personal counselling. And I would say read. That was one of the things that we both did. We read lots and lots of books So I read books about love and I read books about religion and I read books about family and I read books about psychology, Um, books that really helped me along the way. Um, One of the first books I read was In Faith and Doubt. So that was my first book that really covered the fact that mixed faith marriages can work. Um, I read the book the five love languages which really helped me understand why even though I still loved you and you still loved me why weren't we feeling loved so that helped address that question Unfollow was a really important book for me which was about um, Megan Phelps Roper Um, so she tells her story about loving and leaving the Westboro Baptist Church And for me, that was a really, really important book because it was the story of a faith transition from someone who belonged to a high-demand religion. That was also her family as well. Oh, yeah, so incredible. Um, But it took some of the pain away for me because it wasn't about my religion. So that, that... really helped me listening to stories from other religions that were not my own religion was something that really helped me in the journey because that took some of the attack out of it and the personalness and the feeling that I was being pressured to change or compromise yeah so that they were really important books for me So I would say, hear other people tell their story, listen to podcasts, listen to all the Moa episodes, which I did during lockdown, and find yourself a new community, because I love the Moa community. What advice would you give, Ben? Well, I would reiterate everything you said about therapy and counselling. I don't know if we could have got through without that. So don't be afraid of therapy. It is, it is such a valuable thing. If only just to help you understand yourself better and someone else better, to be more introspective about why we feel or react the way we do to certain scenarios in the marriage, um, that's absolutely number one priority is you need 
outside help sometimes or you just need a mediator sometimes some neutral party to mediate so you can both talk about things in, in a calm manner I would also say take it slow and be patient with each other and this is a huge upturning of your life and it, it can take years to process this and, and deal with it so don't feel like it all has to be sorted out and defined and you have to come to some new arrangement within a certain time span. Um, just allow yourselves time to grieve or process or feel whatever you need to feel and work through it slowly at a pace each of you can cope with. And then hopefully you'll come out the other end. Um, I think too, like, a faith crisis can reveal flaws in a marriage and I think sometimes it can reveal very deep flaws that that a marriage can't survive and that's okay too but for us we had a great marriage and I think another piece of advice I'd give is to focus on the marriage and what it was separate from religion and beliefs focus on what you love about each other focus on your shared history together um and never let go of that, even during the darkest moments, even in the bitterest disagreements about belief or anything else. Just remember the love and the shared history and the good times that you have together so that that can get you through to the next day or next week or next month when you can cope with those dark feelings in a, in a healthier way. So I guess that sums it up, would you say? Counselling, take your time get therapy and just focus on what's good and strong about your marriage and your love aside from your different beliefs yes shared values are really important and and to recognize that as an abm the 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 story that you're told about somebody who goes through a faith transition or a faith crisis isn't necessarily the only story or what's true because I know that you didn't want to leave to be a bad person it was actually the things that you believed in that made you leave your values your commitment to truth they were the things that you were standing up for and not compromising on and I needed to respect your path. Mm. And I might just add too, in addressing the, the PMs or the non-believers, is you know you go through such an upheaval in your own beliefs, but don't don't dump all that on your partner. Like that's the one big regret and mistake that I made, and I wish I had done things differently. I wish I wish I had respected my partner more and just again allowed her the time to process these things on her own terms rather than expecting her to be where I'm at in in where I was processing things so don't do this sort of information dump on your partner just allow them the necessary time to to process what you've learned or what you're going through in their own way and eventually hopefully the two of you can come to an understanding together and you'll find that happy medium between belief and non-belief 
and you can find happiness there.